It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. We're going to talk about the murder of two young girls. If you listened to last week's episode of The Murder Sheet, you may be experiencing some deja vu. We already covered the Delphi murders this month, after all. Well, the same day we came out with our episode on the sketches, there was quite a lot of chatter about the case online. Some of it was very heated. See, a very popular podcast came out with some episodes of their own that sparked quite a bit of controversy in the true crime world. True Crime Garage, a chat-style podcast helmed by host Nick and the Captain, has been covering Delphi since 2017. On August 2nd and 3rd, they released a three-part run on the case titled Delphi Murders Under the Bridge. The episodes each featured a conversation with a Reddit researcher who goes by the pseudonym Skip Jansen. 
We'll boil down Skip's theory without too much editorializing. Skip feels that an eyewitness in the Delphi case, a young man who was near the Monon High Bridge with a young woman on the day of the murders, is the real killer. And that other witnesses are lying for this young man. And that the witness also managed to derail the investigation into the killings by giving false statements that led to the development and release of the first sketch in the case. For more information on the controversy around the sketches, listen to our previous episode from last week. Anyway, these episodes caused some commotion online. Fans of Under the Bridge said they appreciated hearing about a new theory on the case. Critics were upset because they felt True Crime Garage was pointing a finger at an easily identifiable private citizen, and other witnesses based on often iffy evidence, questionable logic, and confusing sources from an anonymous researcher. In terms of our reaction, Kevin and I fell squarely into the critics' category. Still, we debated doing an episode on this. Covering Delphi is only an occasional thing for us. We had a restaurant case ready to go, but we realized that there were some super interesting questions about ethics and true crime at play here. So we emailed the captain with our concerns about the show. And, to our surprise, he got back to us. We asked him some pretty tough questions, and we were very impressed that he actually hopped on the phone to talk with us about all of this. We hope you'll find this interesting too, if only as an introduction to questions about ethics in the world of true crime. Here's our talk with the captain about True Crime Garage's latest run of Delphi episodes. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're the Murder Sheet, and this is the Delphi Murders, a conversation with the captain from True Crime Garage. I guess we were just curious with True Crime Garage sort of like vetting procedures with, you know, Reddit guests. I know Kevin and I have had anonymous guests on the show, so we just wanted to get a sense of what you guys do to like kind of say, this guy's legit, we're going to go with this. Would, would you want me to explain how um, I got in contact with Skip? 
Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and obviously we know he's anonymous, so you don't like we're not looking like for you to expose him or anything, but just you know like general vetting process. Yeah. So what what initially happened? Um, if anybody's followed like our coverage, uh, at some point we put out an episode where I I never stated an individual's name, or I I don't actually believe I even out their initials or anything because in the Delphi case for whatever reason we don't call bridge guy bridge guy we call him BG we don't call flannel shirt guy uh, flannel shirt guy we call him FSG so that's kind of been uh, a thing so I don't even believe I put out initials like you know ST or uh, PE or whatever right mm-hmm. so when we when we covered that, uh, and I can't remember, we've done so many Delphi episodes at this point, um, but a lot of people alluded to like, oh, he must have a suspect that he really liked. Uh, and I had a suspect that I thought was suspicious. I basically took some information that I had to lo- local law enforcement and had them go over the information that I uncovered myself and they agreed with me on what they saw. Um, and so we submitted that to Indiana state police via local law enforcement here. Cause I wanted to make sure that, uh, Indiana state police got that information. Um, but so, yeah, so I didn't know that the guy that I talked about, there was a, I guess a couple Things that I said that tipped people off to, to who I was talking about, or they thought I was talking about. And I got this uh, weird Instagram message saying, you're wrong. And um, and the guy left his number, so I called him. And then he basically told me this whole theory about an uh, eyewitness that has been on a, bo- a bunch of forums um, changing his story. And I kept vetting the, the guy that I thought it was um, to the point where I believe I figured out uh, the guy, again, the, the guy that I thought was suspect of, of the murders. I believe I vetted him as much as I could and um, believe that his alibi is checked out. So that, and that was mo- months and months ago. And so then after that happened, uh, I ended up talking to Skip on the phone and he basically went over, uh, Skip never initially, he wasn't the one that introduced himself. It was a, a different individual. And he told me this, uh, you know, told me the theory. I said, it makes sense. And so then I ended up talking to Skip on the phone. He goes over the theory more in detail. Then I say, well, that's cool, man. I'm, I ha- I have to take a step back from the Delphi case, personal health and mental health reasons because it was just. I mean, every night at five p.m., I'd say, "Don't go on the internet. Right. <laughs> Don't go searching for information." And a lot of these people on the internet, they they get information from the internet and then they don't do anything with it. They go, well, I saw the screenshot, and then, well, that must mean this, or that must mean that. I started calling these places, 
um, the guy that I thought it was, one of the things in question was this uh, husband and wife were on vacation during that, uh, during that, a couple of days before the, the murders. Uh, well, I called those venues uh, of places that they claimed that they were at. And I actually talked to real people and got them to tell me if they could tell me if they were there or not, you know? Um, and so it's, I just always felt like people putting stuff out on the internet was very irresponsible because they weren't doing their due diligence to figure out if this had any weight to it. Basically every couple weeks or so I'd get a, you know, talking to other people investigating the cases, talking to private investigators investigating uh, Delphi on their own. And I kept on coming back to this theory that Skip presented me with. And so then I started talking to Skip on the phone, you know, hours at a time. But it started becoming, he would make a statement. I'd say, cool, prove it. And then he'd prove it, show me the proof. Make another state, prove it. And everything that I've ever asked for him to show me proof of, he's been able to do so. Um, so what then we set on this idea for months because um, Skip actually spent time going to Delphi, talking with sources that he has uh, close to the case and people in the area and, and making sure that he wasn't just going to be put in fire underneath this uh, eyewitness that possibly could be a, a suspect. And so, I mean, it was months and months of going back and forth with him, files being shared, and uh, and, and tons of files that we never shared, uh, and information on the three episodes that we were never, never able, able to share. Um. And like I said, I sat on this information for months. Um, my father is a retired detective. So then I went over all the information with my father. Um, my father was concerned that it would somehow mess up the investigation and Delphi possibly. And asked for me to contact Delphi uh, law enforcement, which I got, I think, six or seven different contact numbers for Tobe Lesenby. And then I called and left. Uh, some of the numbers were disconnected, but a number that I believe actually was a office line to him. I left several messages with my contact information and stated if this would mess up the investigation or if this eyewitness is just an eyewitness um, and shouldn't be, uh, maybe they, maybe law enforcement knows that he lied to them. There's many times in cases eyewitnesses lied to law enforcement, but that doesn't mean that they're a murderer. It just means that they're, they were covering up because they're maybe cheating on their spouse or maybe they were using drugs or something at the time. Um, mm -hmm. I called and left multiple messages and, and never heard anything back. And then it becomes, do you put this information out or not? And, and we decided to obviously put out the information. 
I'm I'm curious. Did you? I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll refer to him as the witness, the the person who's sort of at the center of this theory. Maybe he's not a witness. Maybe he's a perp. Is sort of the the central theory here, but. For that guy, did you guys try to reach out to him or or Cheyenne, who's another kind of person who's sort of central to Skip's theory? So um, the the eyewitness, or we'll just call him the eyewitness, um, the eyewitness would reach out to several people that I know, and he never even, uh, on Facebook, it, it will let you know if the person checked the message. And he wasn't checking those messages. So I kind of felt like the people that I knew that reach out to him, that he wasn't checking the messages for, uh, that he was just not responsive to anybody. I did send a message to his uh, fiance because I believe that she's in danger. And I, I told her that. Um, gave her my information and said that she needed it to go over any information that I have that I would happily do that with her. Um, and there was just no, no response after that. Okay. And, and I apologize if you, if you guys did this and we just didn't hear it. Um, but in terms of, oh, but, uh, oh, yeah. uh, but let's go, let's go back to yeah, Diane for ahead. a second. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so, um, so Cheyenne was a witness. You know, the eyewitness that we we brought up, um, which I, I actually wanted to use his, the individual's name because he has brought up his name on Facebook forums, um, Reddit forums, other forums. He has brought that upon himself. Uh, Cheyenne had done the same thing. Uh, Cheyenne then contacted our website uh, to say, you know, if she hears her name uh, used again, that she'll go to law enforcement. I said uh, we would welcome um, any discussion uh, in a court of law because we could go over discovery. Uh, we have every piece of evidence, everything that we stated on the show, we can back up. Uh, you know, obviously we were asking Skip certain questions. But a lot of the information I've already seen firsthand. So, and then I had to remind her, because uh, I said, if we can, if she would like to go over anything, any information that I have, or if she would get, want to clear up anything, uh, she said she was not interested. And then she basically said she didn't appreciate having her name be on public forums. And then I reminded her that she was the one for the last few years putting her name in person on public forums, such as Facebook groups. Reddit and other public forums. Yeah, you mentioned that you you wanted to mention him by name. I'm curious, what made you decide not to use his name on the episodes? You know, we have a partnership with the podcast. The, you know, between me and Nick, and uh, Nick didn't feel comfortable doing that, uh, which I respected. Um, and again, like I said, my father uh, advising us uh, that if, you know, he, he wouldn't have done that himself. But just being honest that I wanted to, I would have no problem using his name. Because like I said, he, he brought 
he was the one that went to public forums and gave information. So uh, he, he came out uh, early in the investigation and said he was the eyewitness. He was also came out and said he was uh, the one that was responsible for the first sketch that was released. Um, and then, like I said, answered questions and, and told uh, about his possible events of, of that day. I'm curious, you mentioned sort of your dad's advice on law enforcement. Have you guys, and if you can't say, no worries, but I figured I'd ask, have you guys heard from law enforcement since the episodes have come out? No, but I believe that they're monitoring our blog. I know they're monitoring Facebook groups and, and Reddit. On the episodes, you said that you didn't name him because of legal and safety reasons. And I'm just curious, could you elaborate on what those legal and safety reasons were? Well, no. Uh, I, no, uh, that was, again, I don't think it's legal or safety reasons in the sense of, again, you, you put your name out there to these public forums. We're backing up everything. Everything that was discussed on those episodes is stuff that he already put out on those public forums. So that's why I had no problem with using his name. Uh, also, we're stating the theory is this simple. Eyewitness lied and changed his story multiple times. Didn't come forward for seven to eight days. Uh, is responsible for the first sketch. Law enforcement then comes out two years later and says that sketch becomes secondary, implying that whatever information they got from that eyewitness was not good enough or they did not believe. So they switched directions. It came out with a second sketch. That second sketch comes from eyewitnesses. If you compare that second, this eyewitness, it matches it. And so I don't have a, I want to have a problem with putting his name out. Safety reasons. Um, if my, if our theories, our simple theory is eyewitness lied or eyewitness changed their story. Now, if you go with eyewitness changed their story, that's implying that they lied, right? So, that person then should become a suspect. And we know because we've had law enforcement state that we've, uh, we believe we talked to you. And one of the things when they said, well, why hasn't there been arrest? And they said, because they weren't identified as a suspect early on. So name me what they could be identified as in a criminal case. If they talked to the person early on, and he wasn't a suspect, then what did they identify him as? So I think I think Kevin and I have talked about the theory a lot and, and I wanna, you know, I I wanna just kind of put something out there and see what you think about it because I think there's interesting elements of it, right? Where I think the the bit about well, did they see the couple or did they hear arguing? Could the arguing have been not a couple but BG and the girls, right? That's what, I, I, that's what I believe. Right. I believe plain yeah. I believe plain old shirt guy his initial statements was he heard a, a couple arguing by the bridge. Um I and my theory is that that was bridge guy with Abby and Libby. And yeah, and so like things like that I think are interesting from people like us who follow the case where we're saying, Okay, we're thinking about what we think is a known fact in a different way. 
Um, mm-hmm. but, but areas where maybe I'm less comfortable with the theory sort of falls into the, maybe the degree of certainty with which maybe you and Skip kind of state some certain things like I'm thinking first sketch, that's a composite sketch. So like, you know, you know, uh, the, the eyewitness, right. He's part of that group that's giving information on that sketch, but he's not the sole force behind it because it's a composite of, of multiple Factors. Right, but again, we're we're using this eyewitness's language, his own language online. His language online was, "I'm responsible for the first sketch released." Right, but like he's not in law enforcement. Maybe he's over overstating his contribution because he's maybe watched too many cop shows and is saying, "I got it," you know. But I I feel like if the theory hinges upon him derailing the investigation with this sketch, that. The, the theory isn't really borne out by what police have said about the sketch. Well, I believe this individual matches both sketches anyways. I don't even know how you could match both sketches, given that one looks like an old dude to me and one looks like some guy, you know, it, it, like, look very fresh-faced almost. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I, mean I'm, I, I, I could, I could yeah. send you the side-by-sides if you want. Yeah, I mean, I just, um, to me, they're, they're both, I mean, we... We just last week, literally, our episode was just ripping ISP a new one for the for the two sketches. So maybe we're just uh, we have our yeah, own well, one. right. Well, I, I would say so too. I, I look, I've I've seen multiple side by sides, and the 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 initial, you know, I had a source that initially told me about a suspect. Like I said, that I looked into for months, and my big issue with him was constantly I couldn't, I I didn't. Side by sides didn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, these ones, I mean, to me, it passes the the eye test. Um, but again, that, that's not <laughs> that's not the crutch of the theory. The the simple theory is this eyewitness changed their story, therefore they shouldn't be an eyewitness anymore. They should become a person of interest or a suspect. Right, because obviously, someone placing themselves at the scene and saying things that turn out to not be true is, is suspicious. Um, yeah. Well, I, and I got an email again uh, over the weekend claiming, well, first of all, claiming that we're, um, you know, I mean, the names that they called us <laughs> were ridiculous, but mm-hmm. also, you know, we have easy ways to contact us through email and they, this individual could figure that out. So they send the email to our store. Okay. So I'm glad that our, our store guy forwarded that to me. This person claims that she's connected to the family of this eyewitness, and that we're a bunch of idiots and just lying to try to get clickbait, uh, which I'd like to go into a little bit on the clickbait in a second. But stating that uh, she knows we're lying because she was told by the eyewitness that he doesn't remember exactly what time he got there or whatever, but he was there with his fiance. And that he left by 2 p.m. And so then I sent her all the screenshots of him saying that he got there at 3 something uh, and he was sitting up on the bridge at 319. So I don't know what he's telling people around him, but obviously the lies continue. My, my, my thing with the, and I want to make sure we understand because I don't want to be you know, saying, oh, well, I want to I make I want to make sure from we understand from you basically changing his story. 
from what I can tell from the episodes, does that basically amount to saying he was there with a girl who was his girlfriend and then switching to actually she wasn't my girlfriend and then going uh, going back and saying maybe I don't know. I don't know if I could identify this man later. Are those kind of the two central facets of that part? Yeah, one, at one point, again, he says he's responsible for the first sketch. And then he later says, well, maybe I didn't even see Bridge Guy. Uh, maybe I saw flannel shirt guy but in his initial statements about seeing bridge guy he talks a lot about the sc- a scarf that bridge guy was wearing and and we know flannel shirt guy was not wearing a scarf so it, it's just things like that where you know again and it could be as simple if you want to break up the whole theory that we have and blow it up and make it nonsense it, it simply could be uh, that this guy is changing his story to cover for some other reason. And again, that that would not make him a suspect. That would just make him somebody that's trying to, you know, preserve whatever action he doesn't want other people knowing about. But yeah, initially he said he was with his fiance, and then later said, no, he wasn't with his fiance. He was with this other girl, but, you know, he was cheating on his fiance, so he didn't want her to, you know, find that out. And yeah, I mean, like, that's obviously a crappy thing to do. But to me, that that is something that I could see a dude lying about. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I and I I, I totally could see that. And so, again, with um, the the other thing that's interesting about um, Skip's theory is once you li- once you listen to this theory, and you really start breaking down everything that Skip's saying, and then you go back and listen to 2019's press conference in April, not the one in February, but the one in April, they're not talking, in my eyes, to a hypothetical. They're not doing a John Douglas came in and made a profile, and now we're going to speak to a hypothetical killer that we think we know based on a profile. I believe they're talking to an individual. Again, like they said, we've likely interviewed you. I believe they're talking to a person that they know. Um, again, he also brings up points in the investigation that a lot of people have never discussed, you know, the GBI coming in for peer review and items like that. I also believe that 2019 February's press conference was a ruse by law enforcement because they basically came out and said nothing new. Um, and I think they were monitoring those, uh, those press conferences and then expected to have, you know, they made an announcement of the April press conference given, uh, this person that they're going to talk to four days to be in the room and he didn't show up. Did I mean, but like, I guess my... I guess the the issue maybe I had with some of the certainty with which you guys talked about this is just like, we don't know what cops were doing. I mean, unless any of us have sources within the investigation, which I can say I don't, (laughs) but, um, well, yeah, but tell me what part that you think we're talking to certain um, about just that this guy's definitely the murderer of Libby and Abby. Um, no, what, I, okay, so that that would be a misconception. My my theory is simply this guy uh, has lied about his whereabouts, possibly even lied about what vehicle he was 
had that day and where he was parked. And so his story hasn't lined up 100%. Therefore, he should be suspect. He should be looked into further. But when he placed himself as arguing couple, I believe arguing couple is BG arguing with victims. So if that statement is true, which again, we don't know, but if that statement is true, that would place him in contact with Abby and Libby, obviously most likely be the murderer. I mean, but I mean, again, Cheyenne and presumably the girl who was with him, you want to say her as fiance, girlfriend, side piece, whatever, were talked to by police. I mean, I would guess. I I don't have a source on that, but that would be no. I, I'm 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 certain they were, but you have to understand too that Cheyenne's story changed on online forums as well. Uh, I and again, don't know why. Um, and I look. The other, the other thing about it is, yes, she saw, she she claims that she never saw uh, Bridge Guy. She claims that she saw this eyewitness. But just because she saw this eyewitness, we don't know where she saw him, when she saw him. And so, again, all that does is put this eyewitness uh, in the park, which is the scene of the crime. Uh, roughly around the time the girls were were killed, and so it still goes with our theories. If that makes any sense. So, if this theory is true, and the witness who's barely out of his teens succeeds in completely derailing the investigation, and well, he would have been in early twenties. Yes. So, doesn't that mean that the ISP and the FBI and the local authorities would have to be really stupid to fall for this? No, that's another misconception. One of the things that, you know, I'd love to do like a three-hour uh, correction of everybody. You know, it's hard to, that's the other thing too, is one of the things I wanted to do was take all this information that we gathered and lay it out piece by piece instead of doing an interview. Uh, I thought that would make more sense. Um, you know, but... You know, we, we we went with the interview way because normally when I was talking with Skip, uh, he he had a good way of you know, he can recall like within seconds what information he. Like I said, there's so many times where I go, well, that's nice that you're telling me that, Skip, but I I have no proof of that. And you go, hold on a second, <laughs> send me a file. You know, uh, when the guy does that over and over, it starts getting a little spooky you know what i mean um so when people go oh well you're going to tell me that this kid is so smart that he duped law enforcement well go back to the retired fbi agent that is friends with carter carter was smart enough to say this case is too big for us right so we got to call in fbi now, do you remember the statement that they made on how many agents were in Delphi working the case? No, refresh your memory. Over 100. Right. So now we have Indiana State Police. We don't know how many of them. Over 100 FBI agents. And we have the Sheriff's Department. 
Now, let's just say that us three go out and interview all eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. If there was any story that didn't line up, we would know that because we interviewed every eyewitness. But what I believe happened is that they interviewed all the eyewitnesses and they started going, okay, well, this eyewitness saw BG. So let's not pay attention to his story beforehand or after. Let's focus on identifying this individual. And I don't think it was until the GBI came in and did a peer review that they went back through the eyewitness statements and they started seeing that some things weren't lining up. Make sense? I hear you. I, I guess, you know, the thing that maybe sticks up for me is, is one thing that seemed to be sort of uh, part of Skip's theory, and I don't want to butcher it, so correct me if I misstate this, but um, that our eyewitness here, who might be the perp, is motivated by uh, some sort of combination of revenge, drugs, and maybe maybe some sort of sexual gratification, unfortunately. And to me, to have all those investigators potentially miss somebody with a big red flag of, like, I'm out for revenge against one of the girls' families or... I have a weird connection to one of these girls that can't be explained. That seems like a, that seems like a huge oversight. Well, no, again, I think that's the other thing too, is like, you know, again, I believe a lot of these eyewitnesses, you know, whether they're interviewed by this FBI group or this sheriff group, I think if they split those duties up because they had so much manpower that they could do that, so they could get the information faster. But that, you know, again, uh, if we all three did the, the interviews ourselves, we would be able to see those discrepancies pretty easily. Um, but I don't think anything that we were putting out on the podcast is any, is any information that law enforcement doesn't already know. Um, and we, we backed that with the idea that if you take what they said Again, we believe uh, this eyewitness was parked at the CPS building. Mm -hmm. The first thing in the 2019 press conference is we want to talk to the driver of the vehicle that was parked at the CPS building from 12 to 5. Right. So, and also I think people don't understand too, initially, right away, you know, if you look up any of these suspects' addresses, uh, or you do a background check on the, uh, on any of these eyewitnesses or any of these suspects that are named, you're talking about 30 to 40 um, sexual offenders that live within a mile of any of these. So I think initially that's what, the, you know, because of uh, maybe signatures of the scene of the crime or thinking that this was sexual in nature, um, you know, and... <laughs> And there's also what drives me nuts about this case is there's some things that we know, but people refuse to say that we know them. Like we know that the girls were missing articles of clothes. Right. And people go, well, how do we know that? Well, because law enforcement told you that they found articles of clothes of, of the girls clothes in, in the water. So of course they have to be missing if they found those articles of clothes in the water. So, you know, is there some sexual component to this? case probably but again fbi and everybody else is going to start looking for you know somebody that again like 
like the the suspect that media has deemed the suspect uh, Chadwell, because they go, well, look, this guy is capable of this type of crime. Um, but early twenties is not too young to have to be your first crime like this. No, and we're not we're not saying that. It just it seems like part of Skip's theory. It's not just that this guy is the man. He's you know BG, but that he also managed to really. Uh, pardon my French, but F up law enforcement for like two years. And that seems to be a well, level of sophistication that is, is interesting. Yeah. I, and I don't know again, because uh, intelligence is very confusing sometimes. So if somebody is smart enough, they can confuse you, but you know, what else is also really confusing is when people do dumb stuff. Right. So, <laughs> so I, I think, you know, I think sometimes people give these uh, killers, uh, you know, they, everybody wants them to be a Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Well, I, well, Hannibal Lecter was based on, you know, Bundy and Dahmer and Gein. And, and, and Gein was, you know, walking around with learning disabilities and, and probably couldn't even spell his own name. You know, so, you know, this Hannibal Lecter type person is just normally doesn't exist. And I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that this individual is that. I believe, look, I, I said this, if there was a murder in a park, and I happened to be at the park, and then I come forward after a few days and say, hey, I saw the guy. Well, my father is a retired detective in the area. Who do you think they're going to go with? And and the eye test, when you look at BG, when they came out with the second sketch, my first thought was like, oh, my God guy doesn't look anything like bridge guy Mm -hmm. you know like how are they even like and and then that makes you start wondering how did they get that picture how did they get that image yeah Um, it's pretty baffling and then it's like are we looking for a guy who looks like both are we looking for two guys are we looking at one guy and they cleared the first guy what you know what are we looking for yes yeah it's very confusing and and initially if you would have said bridge guy i would have said okay late thirties to sixties. The law enforcement is telling you 17 to 40 could appear younger. So, well, heck if he can appear younger than 40, well, no, no wonder that the second sketch that was released makes more sense. You know, the rumor is that that was the first sketch that was the, the second sketch that was released was the first sketch that was drawn. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. And, and if that is correct, there's something about this eyewitness. If he is correct, that he is a piece of the puzzle of why they released the first sketch and not the first sketch that was actually drawn. I, I think that comes from, you know, his background. Uh, the fact that this kid would have been a part of a program in high school that where he worked with the county, uh, prominent family, a good family. Um, Again, goes to that idea of people will be surprised and what, what will people around you think. And I know that goes with, you know, a lot of murders, but um, no. And I think also people are, are, I also think people that think that Skip is 100% sold that if this eyewitness is lying, then therefore he's the murderer. And I, I think his theory is a little bit deeper than that. But just like I've told him, the moment you get the first guy that I thought it was, I maybe got a thousand yeses. 
of you're heading in the right direction to the point of some of the stuff that I found was scary. Like fearing for my life, like making sure my cameras in my house were working, making sure my guns were loaded. And then when I got the no or the confirmation of what I believe would be his alibi, I had to walk away from it. And I told Skip the same thing. This eyewitness then comes forward to police and is cooperative and, and, uh, and law enforcement makes a statement that this eyewitness is an eyewitness. He's a credible eyewitness and he's nothing more than an eyewitness. Uh, he, he'll have to walk away from it, you know, but I think it got to the point with him that he couldn't sit by anymore and go, this guy lied and we know he lied. And, We've heard nothing from law enforcement for the last two years. Yeah, it's definitely been radio silence. There was there was something I wanted to ask you about that confused me a little bit. Uh, on yeah. the episodes, you talked about uh, Libby's phone getting wiped or in you a know, factory reset process. And I think Skip suggested this was done because uh, the witness encouraged her to do this because... He wanted to wipe away the evidence of his contacts with her. And I guess I was wondering if that was the case, why wouldn't the witness have just wiped the phone himself? Um, no, I think that's just a theory. I think, you know, you always have these, like, I think weird coincidences, you know, uh, that happen in cases. And I think the fact that we know her phone was reset my issue with the reset is that we, we did have an individual that came forward. I can't remember the guy's name, but kid came forward and said, look, I, I believe she was talking to older gentlemen online. I don't know why a kid would come forward and say that if it wasn't true. seems like that kid came forward to, uh, to try to help. Was uh, that on, I'm so sorry. Was that on like Reddit? Uh, or what forum did that person come on? Uh, well, from the sort, some of the sources I have, that's a credible mm, okay. that he came forward to to law enforcement. I haven't. That's the other thing too. Is I don't spend any time on Reddit. I don't spend any. I've never been a part of any Facebook Delphi group mm. because, again, like I said, all these theories that I've ever heard. I mean, uh, you know when. When people are posting, hey, we're on vacation and we're at this event hall and people tell me they're lying. They're not at the, that event hall. They doc, And I'm like, well, how would they doctor the pictures? How would they do this? Mm-hmm. Has anybody called? Nobody's called. I talk, I've talked to hundreds of people that they think they've solved Delphi or, uh, or John Benet Ramsey or, or the, um, uh, the Black Dahlia murders or whatever. And they haven't even took the time just to call. Call the place. And and what, like I said, one of the uh, suspects that were people were talking about online that I kept on hearing chatter about, I, I called one of the places. And the place said, oh, yeah, they bought tickets and they used those tickets. And, and they said, do you need us to pull surveillance footage? And I said, no, that's not for me. They, they, how do, how do they get their tickets? Well, they have to 
uh, submit ID to get their ticket. Okay, well, that's enough for me to go. And they posted that on Facebook that they were there. That's enough for me to say that person was there, you know? Right. But so, so, so yes, I think it's very irresponsible that people go on these uh, forums and post information uh, and then never do any research at all. Um, and, and I just want to do that for our show. I mean, we've done over 500 and some episodes, you know, it, if Nick is not the best, um, you know, true crime podcaster out there, like as far as amount of information you're going to get on a case, uh, tell me one better. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. But it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. EMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Like, because half these cases, when people go, I've been investigating this case for two years. I didn't hear any of this. I'm like, well, you never spoke with the family. Right. You know, and, and people think that we put out this show lightly, like it's clickbait. Yeah, well, first tell me of all, more about the kill, clickbait charge, because I know we talked about that earlier, and we wanted no. to give you sort of an opportunity to, like, how does that feel when people throw out that term and sort of what we're, what you're thinking is? We're, we're True Crime Garage. We put out a show normally every other week on a different case. You know, 
you know, we get criticized a lot of times because we don't do a lot of soft cases. Well, some of the reasons why we don't do that is we've met so many family members that are begging people to look at our case, do something. You know, we just covered a case lately where there was a new autopsy release uh, that overturns the, the decision of it being a suicide and possibly, you know, they're saying it was foul play. I don't think our podcast had, had anything to do with that, but the family was begging for people to cover their case. We'd rather cover cases like that and shed light on cases. We'd rather cover cases that aren't in the spotlight all the time. Hey, but you know what? One of the reasons why people talk about Delphi is because we had the guts to cover them, you know, before anybody else did. Nobody was talking about them, and the NFL was putting up all this money to to post uh, um, uh, billboards all over the country. And we said, look, this is, you know, a few hours away from us in our own backyard. We need to cover it. We didn't even know much information about it. So we just have to go on there, do the best we can, maybe give some speculation. And now we've covered it so many times. I mean, when when Chadwell came out, we felt like we had to cover it. We got thousands of emails of saying, can you cover this? Because they don't want to take the time to do the research themselves. Okay, well, that's what we're here for. So that's what we did. But for people to go on Facebook or Twitter and say, we did this for clickbait, I've met Kelsey. I've met Becky. I've, I've looked at them in their, their eyes. They personally thanked us when we initially met them. Uh, and we were introduced as this was the first podcast to ever talk about the Delphi murders. They thanked us. You know, and then people go on and say, oh, this is clickbait? Clickbait. What, what, what do you do with clickbait? Clickbait gets people to listen to your show. And if it's clickbait, then what, we, what should we name the show? Delphi Murders, New Suspect. Did we, sit, did we call the episodes that? No, we said Under the Bridge. Because Under the Bridge becomes way more um, important of a conversation. If there was this arguing couple under the bridge, and we know that to be fact, that flannel shirt guy said that he heard that, then, then that person arguing, I believe is, arguing with Abby and Libby and then under the bridge becomes a part of the crime scene. It becomes more important in this case, but we're not going to get more views. Uh, we're going to get less downloads in the next seven days on these episodes than if we would have just put out a new case because some of our audience, they, they don't, they're, they're, they're not interested in the Delphi murders case. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's just covered so much. I mean, there, every day there's somebody on YouTube putting out new information. And it's just kind of, that's just kind of the way it works. I mean, it's, you know, like when we put, put out uh, John Benet Ramsey episodes, some people are just not interested in that case or they've watched too much about it. You know, and so this case uh, in particular, it's, it's close to our chest. And then there was this, you know, people were making these claims that we're arguing with Kelsey on Twitter. Mm -hmm. No, we had a friend that I shared side-by-sides that posted that. Right when she posted the side-by-sides, I retweeted it because I wanted to be held responsible for the reason those side-by-sides were out. Not friends that I gave to and felt they felt compelled to share those side-by-sides. 
And then Kelsey asked for those to be taken down. And she asked like within minutes of the side-by-side being uploaded, she asked that we take them down. And we said, yes. And then Kelsey's boyfriend came after us, was calling us names. And I told him over and over, everything that we're stating on our show, I can show you actual proof. I will send you all the files if you wish. And then what people didn't see is uh, Kelsey apologizing for her boyfriend coming after us. And we had a private conversation and that's none of nobody's business. But again, I could go just take that, take that screenshot of our conversation and put it on Twitter to let everybody know we're, we weren't arguing, you know, um, and that Kelsey apologized, but that's, it's not my place to like give it, shit what the some guy on Twitter thinks. You know what I mean? Uh and I told Kelsey if there's any information uh that that we discuss that she would want to see the proof of, I'd be happy to send it to her. And I'd be happy to send her a bunch of the other stuff that we have that we've never shared. Why was her boyfriend uh upset with the episodes? No, he was upset with the fact that somebody posted the side by side because law enforcement and the family have asked for that not to happen. But look, that happened. Why do you put out the sketch in the first place? You know, like, and, and it becomes a tough thing because, you know, I feel for that family. You know, I look, anybody that's looked into this case extensively, if you haven't cried randomly when you're investigating this case, you don't have a heart. Uh, especially when you hear about some of these rumors, uh, oh, this was found at the scene, or did you hear that this might have been a signature? I mean, it's disgusting. Um, and there's an animal out there. There's an actual animal, evil demon animal that murdered these two girls. And whether it's revenge or somebody connected to the family or whatever, that doesn't whatever that you're not responsible for the other person in your family's actions. You're still innocent. Um, so yeah, but, uh, but there's a part of me that goes, people are, like I said, there's millions of families that wish that a uh, podcast would cover their family's case and get the word out about it. You know? Yeah. Shine, shine a spotlight on it. One thing I'm, I'm yeah. curious about is we've talked about how on an earlier episode, you I, you talked about someone you considered a suspect. And although you didn't name him, some people did figure out who you were talking about. And through your investigation, you subsequently uh, cleared him to your satisfaction. I was just wondering, in your mind, do you owe him any sort of apology for accusing him of being this monster? Who do I owe apology I'm asking if you believe you owe an apology on an episode a few months ago, you indicated that you suspected someone, a guy and his wife. Who? Tell me their name. You did not name them. That is true. Yeah. Right. That's that's my argument. That's my smart ass. (laughs) That's my smart (laughs) ass. No, 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 I I get it. Yeah. No. And you know what? I will, I will not back off the fact that what I found on that guy is scary. And I'm not saying he's a murderer or whatever, but the stuff that I found out or stuff, uh, forms that I saw him writing on and the language in which he writes, 
scary. And I had neighbors of his um, tell me stories and uh, about um, conflicts and events that took place at his house that I think are scary. Um, so I don't owe nobody apology. And at the end of the day, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to figure out who killed these two girls. And in and, and every case, there's going to be casualties. That's just the way it works. I mean, we covered the Tyler Davis case, missing guy in Columbus. His, his best friend was with him. And he and Tyler got drunk, and Tyler would take off. He gets all mad when he gets drunk, and he has to go for a walk. And he wants people to follow him. This is what his best friend tells me. He goes, I'm tired of following him. I've been following him for years. We cover the case. We never say the kid's name. Uh, but everybody knew that his best friend was with him. So then all these online forums blow up. And start saying, well, maybe this guy did something to his best friend. And, you know, like all these rumors start happening, you know. Uh, and the kid went on Facebook. I'm looking for answers to my best friend. Here's my number. You know, he puts all this stuff out thinking that people are going to help. And now these people uh, want to turn the best friend into a murder suspect. You know what I mean? Uh, we've never found Tyler Davis. He's not out there. And the friend called me and he said, well, what can I do? Uh, do I go online and tell people what I know or what I do? And I just said, look, for the rest of your life, you're going to be known as the friend that was that didn't go after his friend that went missing. You know what I mean? Like, that's just part of your story now. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. But there's going to be thousands of people online that think you are or assume you are or says, you know, and they, they assume in it with Tyler's wife. Even though police have said she's definitely not a suspect, you know what I mean. And and these mm -hmm. oh, go ahead, sorry. And these, I was just going to say, in these cases, some of that, some of that happens, and and it's just like with this eyewitness. You went online. You wanted to take credit for delivering this sketch. You wanted to be a big shot. Well, you know, I guarantee you, law enforcement told him you don't need to tell people about this and you go online and start telling all these people information. You start changing your story, you know? So, yeah, I think you should become a suspect, you know? I mean, I, I guess that's, my, that to yeah. me, that's on him, not on me. But I mean, know? if you're, if you're helping to potentially sick of internet mob on someone for dumb online posts, I mean, doesn't that seem a little harsh? Wait, dumb online. If you're if you're helping to sick an online mob, you know, towards a guy, and it turns out I'm not I'm not responsible for that. You that have a huge mob. platform, though. Yeah, but I can control my platform. I can control my Instagram. I can control my Twitter. I, you know, I can't control a Facebook group that I didn't even know existed. But you can control what you, you say know? on your podcast. Yeah, but I. So, so where am I wrong that this guy was an eyewitness and lied? And and if by definition, what should he become? You, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Captain. I, I guess my feeling is when you say he's an eyewitness who lied, that sounds pretty bad. But when we're saying he said it was one girl rather than the other, and he said maybe I don't remember what he looks like anymore, that's that that kind of knocks it down a peg for me because that's not super material to 
what we know happened that day, I guess. And when you're taking that and saying he's likely a child murderer, that seems a but little no, no. bit like you're jumping to a conclusion. No, again, that's not my theory. My theory is that this eyewitness changed his story multiple times, not just two times, and not just saying, I was with my fiance. No, I wasn't with my fiance. I was with this other girl. Uh, and But changing times of when he got there, or how long he was there. I mean, it's not just one thing that he has changed his story on. And so what I'm saying is, you have eyewitnesses that have changed their story multiple times, um, by definition, I believe they should become a person of interest. And, and then the only caveat to that is I personally believe that arguing couple is bridge guy interacting with Abby and Libby. And if that's true, and this guy places himself as being part of arguing couple, then it seems that this eyewitness had contact with Abby and Libby. If you were wrong, do you just sort of see it as like casualty of the, of the business as, as sort of you, you mentioned? Well, no, I, I think that's too flippant because like I said, uh, if anybody's follow like the, the Brian Schaefer case, mm. um, mm-hmm. it, his friend Clint and Meredith that were with him that night, it sucks what happened to him. You know, Brian's dad hired a private investigator to go after Clint. Clint doesn't even go by his real name anymore. Um, you know, the private investigator, the police, the you know, they created this narrative. And even when we covered the case, I said, man, I'd like to know more information about this Clint guy, right? Uh, and then, I, you know, I've talked to his lawyer. And he's like, what is there to know? Anytime they've asked us a question, we've answered the question. He only lawyered up because he was getting accused of this stuff. I don't think it's as simple as like, oh, it's just a casualty. You're just, uh, oh, yes. I just think it's too flippant. What happened to them is awful. And if this kid is just an eyewitness um, and he was, and he's lying to cover up the fact that he was cheating on his girlfriend, which is not something you should be arrested for. And in no way, shape or form, if you cheated on your girlfriend, does that make you a murderer of, like I said, an evil demon animal that would have had to murder these two girls. Those don't equal themselves. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is we're sitting on information for the last two years and nobody's talking about it. And people are bringing up suspect after suspect. And you can't even tell me that that individual was in Delphi the day the girls went missing. So, and like I said, you reach out to law enforcement because you go, hey, don't want, I don't want, you know, I feel obligated to put this out there. You know? Mm-hmm. And they never like, got back to you. Yeah. Tell me that if, if I'm wrong, I, I will not put it out. I'm not. Here to just, I'm not just some content creator that is just trying to come out with the newest, you know, sensationalized story. I mean, there's YouTube videos every day put out on the Delphi murders of just rumors, you know. And what, and this is not a rumor. This is, like I said, 
he changed his story and I have proof of it, you know? And, and so then if you go, well, isn't that bad that, you know, people are going to suspect him of this or that he has every ability to clear himself. The cops have every ability to come forward and say, he's not a suspect. He's an eyewitness, you know, but cops even told us, we, we talked to this person. We believe, you know, one of the reasons why they're not arrested is they were never identified as a suspect early on, implying that they were identified as something else. Why do you suppose the police have never, why do you suppose the police have never identified him as a person of interest? Well, I think, I, I think they have by their 2019 press conference. <laughs> but we just, but I don't think people, Look, I think it, you know, I think the fact that somebody saw what this kid was put in online and was able to think that they should take a record of it is uh, very smart. But I think law enforcement had this, I think they had this information all along. I don't think anything that we put out that, that law enforcement doesn't know. Well, listen, Captain, we took up, like an hour of your weekend. And we just want to say, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and, and kind of go through some of this stuff. Well, and, and my final statement yeah. would be like, like to see this stuff, you know, like, like, like we're horrible people, you know, we've done 500 and some episodes. Like I said, we, we, we cover cases every week. Like this gets to you. Like I've wanted to quit for years, you know, like it's, you know, Nick's the true crime expert. I, I was a music, I was just a broke musician, you know, mm-hmm. and I want so badly for these, you know, cases to be solved. And I, I, I don't think people understand, um, you know, they just think, oh, well, we did this interview and, and that's it. I mean, I spent months talking with Skip and like I said, every time he was presented, uh, well, he lied about this. He lied about where he was parked. Well, prove it. Okay. Once he proves it, it's like, okay, well, that's, that's another lie. And, um, and just like you said, it's, if it's just one or two things, you know, um, not that big of a deal, but I think once you take that theory and you put it all together and then you listen to what, uh, the way they talk to this individual, uh, in 2019, um, like I said, I just, I felt in my heart that we had to do something and, and it just feels like for the last two years, like nobody's doing anything. And like, we just forgot that these girls were viciously murdered. Yeah. And there's such a, there's such a vacuum of information out there at this point that, you know, police are not doing any more press conferences. It seems like for the time being. Yeah, and I also thought their statements were really interesting because, well, first of all, with Chadwell, media is the one that says he was a suspect. I don't believe law enforcement ever came out and personally said he was a suspect. And then so when media was asking, because I think Chadwell is going to try to use leverage and basically try to hint at the fact that I know more about Delphi and I can tell you more about Delphi, uh, but you lessened the sentence here. And then he just won't have any information on 
myself. I, that's my personal gut feeling. It's, that's what his lawyer is going to try to concoct some uh, deal um, and use Delphi's leverage. But I thought it was a very interesting statement that they come out and say, we're not, we're having a blackout and we're not going to talk about Chadwell or any other suspects for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it makes sense. And also just when you consider that uh, Chadwell's lawyers were pushing for a change of venue, like if everybody who committed a child, a crime against a child in the area did that, it would be a logistical nightmare for the authorities there. So it's like, well, and, and I believe they said, or other suspects, because they wanted to let their suspects know, uh, we haven't forgot about you. And, and again, I mean, I, if you listen to the trailer, if you listen to the music trailer of the episodes, I mean, when they say never give up and they say, well, no, we won't stop. And that's that's the responsibility I feel, you know, from the first moment that we decided to talk about this case. So you expect I, to continue covering this case? I mean, I even want to talk about Chadwell. You know, because because law enforcement never came out and said, "Well, he was a suspect," or you know, or whatever. And I just thought, you know, but we got, like I said, we got so many emails. Um, I mean, I mean, personally, for like my mental health, I wouldn't want to talk about it until they solve it. And I don't know if I'd be able to stop crying uh, when they do. You know, because you know, I think people just think. Oh, they're just these podcaster guys. They don't care. Just doing it for money or, you know, whatever. It's like you can have the money. I don't care. You know, it's, you know, somebody, when you, they said, when you see something, say something. Well, my platform is just a little bit larger than everybody else. But when I see something, I damn going to say it, you know, and, and maybe that will solve something. And if it doesn't, then, you know, so the, that's the thing too is when the people go, oh, well, there's these suspects online and their lives are ruined. Their their lives aren't ruined. They move on. But, you know, like I said, this eyewitness could come forward and, and, and they could clear him and do it publicly. But he's not going to come forward. He's not going to talk to law enforcement. So. Well, listen, we, we can talking to you we can tell that you care about this case and and we do really appreciate you coming on and 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 clarifying some stuff and chatting with us and uh thank you thank you so much yeah thank you guys is there anything we didn't ask you about just to that's my final question with everything do we not ask you about anything that you you wanted to add that you want to put out there i mean like i said i wish i could just have a i wish i could have a files that people could download online. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I, I have way more information than we even talked about on the show that I, I, I can't share, you know, and I can't share Skip's contacts because I think their jobs would be in jeopardy. Yeah, we um, get that. That's a sourcing agreement. That's sacred. We get that. And I wish, I wish Tobe would have called me to tell me what was right to do and what was wrong to do. I, I don't know. I mean, and like I said, I think all you can do at the end of the day is go with your heart and know that your heart's in the right place and uh, try your best. And I think that's what we did. And 
Um, and, you know, and I, and I don't even know where Nick stands on the theory. I mean, other than, uh, you know, eyewitness lied, he should be to become some, a person of interest. Um, so, but no, I appreciate your guys' questions and it's a, and it's, it's something that I think everybody should question, you know, uh, especially when you have a platform or these news media, especially now, I mean, heck, half the stuff that I just put out is like the next day, they're contradicting themselves, you know, and, um, yeah. Yeah, we so, really appreciate you being like, hey, yeah, I'll talk to you guys and, you know, we'll talk about the case, we'll yeah, talk about the theory. Yeah, and I think the thing, too, is it's just like, there's so many people passionate about it and, and that's the other thing, too, is like, it's like politics. We all want the world to be better. We just see different ways to do it. But then the infight, if we could stop the infighting, we get, we could get further. But, you know, sometimes people are just going and, you know, I've had so many people just blast me about this and, you know, try to say we're this or that, you know, it's like, okay, you can think what you want, you know, but it's like, it's, it's you know, but just, but just the nonsense. Oh, it's clickbait. Oh, you think that everything that says Delphi murders gets like, you know, an extra 200,000 listeners. That's not the way it works. You know, uh, you know, that's the way it works. If you're a Delphi only podcast or a Delphi only YouTube channel. Yes. Anytime there's some juicy information, people are going to go check out your show. That's not how it works when you're covering a different case every week. You're, we have an obligation to our listeners to put out, new cases every week, not just to stay on the same case over and over. But, you know, after three months, I just was like, I can't sit by anymore and not have this information out there. And maybe I'll light a fire under one of these eyewitnesses or maybe the, the eyewitnesses we're talking about to come forward. If, if he thinks it's so wrong that we're mentioning his, uh, you know, not his name, but a nickname online or, or, or on the show, if you think it's so wrong, then then come forward and talk with police. We also reached out to Skip himself, and he answered our questions via Reddit. We'll read out some of our questions and his responses now, and then we'll be back with a few more words about our impressions of the captain. Just as a note, we've lightly edited our questions and his responses to remove identifying information. Have you ever attempted to reach out to the eyewitness or Cheyenne? I have not ever attempted to reach out to the eyewitness or Cheyenne. Do you feel that referring to the eyewitness by his initials cloaks his identity enough? Do you share the captain's worries, as stated on the first episode of the latest three-part Delphi run, around legal and safety concerns? If so, what negative legal or safety outcomes are you worried about? I just follow the rules of the platform that I am participating on. If they allow initials, I use initials. No, I'm not worried about legal or safety concerns. If someone sues me, I would get to depose them in discovery. I doubt that's something they want to do. Do you think it's responsible to run an online campaign accusing an easily identifiable private citizen of murder? My comments are based on a theory that looks into a citizen that injected himself into the case a trait the FBI said Bridge Guy might exhibit. He was participating in Facebook groups from early on. He's easily identifiable due to his own actions. 
Before we wrap up, we'd like to say a few things about our impression of the captain. You see, our conversation didn't end when the interview ended. We talked off the record for quite a long time afterwards. He's one of the OG true crime podcasters. His show has a massive following, and he's covered lots of crimes. I think Anya and I both went into the interview expecting a smooth talker, someone sort of emotionally removed from the whole thing. Instead, the person we talked to was deeply sincere. We feel the captain cares about the victims in all the cases he talks about. He's very direct, surprisingly so. Listening to True Crime Garage, you might sometimes get the impression that Nick is the smart one, while the captain is more of there for comic relief and hot takes. But we got the sense that he's a sensitive person who takes an active role in the research and case selection, one who spends a lot of time thinking about some truly awful crimes. To us, the captain seems like a good guy. He seems haunted by Delphi and other cases he's dug into. That being said... We very much disagree with the way True Crime Garage handled this topic in general. Personally, I feel like the best thing to do in order to showcase the theory might have been to assemble five or so Redditors, give them each space to share their own personal theory. That way, you're not giving so much weight to Skip's theory alone, but you're still giving listeners a chance to judge his ideas for themselves. Also, we think that referring to the eyewitness by his initials isn't careful enough we were able to figure out who they were talking about in a few minutes. Skip seems like a passionate researcher, and we also very much appreciated his willingness to answer our questions. But frankly, we're not at all convinced by his theory. We flagged most of our specific concerns with the theory in our talk with the captain. We don't know the details of Skip's sourcing or his methods, so we won't critique those. But some of his assertions not to mention the dead-set certainty with which they're stated, are a little hard to swallow. Part of the problem, in our opinion, is just that we're in an information vacuum. We have to stretch and squint and strain to fill that vacuum with tangible information. That's because the police haven't given us anything too substantial for a while, and also because so many people out there desperately want this thing to be solved. But that kind of approach can have real casualties. We reached out to the two figures mentioned in the True Crime Garage episodes, namely the Eyewitness and Cheyenne, for our show. We didn't hear back from them, and we weren't surprised. I feel like they've been burned so much. Maybe they made mistakes in their lives, or in how they handled their connection to this case. Maybe they posted about this online too much, or were imprecise or sloppy with how they recounted the details. But, based on what we know... I don't think either of them deserve to get accused of being complicit in the murders. In general, I get worried when a witness gets blasted in a high-profile crime like this. I feel like it's a manifestation of our collective frustration with a case remaining unsolved. I feel like us podcasters, researchers, and armchair detectives need to check that impulse. Because if coming forward and talking about your link to an unsolved case is a surefire way of getting accused of the worst possible crimes, you can imagine that some will be reluctant to come forward at all. We can't let our agitation and anguish over a heinous crime spur us to crucify random people for the sin of happening to be in a certain park on a sunny day in February. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.